1: Hello, heroes, and welcome to another exciting episode of One Shot. I'm James D'Amato, your host and game master. Heroes, this week we are playing The Price of Coal, a storytelling game about labor rights and the Battle of Blair Mountain. It's a historical role-playing game that explores an event in history that isn't well taught in American schools, although it should be because it is a dark and uncomfortable time in the history of America's labor movement when coal barons were able to exploit their workers with complete impunity and the full support of the US government, to the point that the military bombarded US citizens to protect the capital interests of the coal industry. For many listeners, this is going to be an emotional ride, and I have to admit, it will not be one of our cheerier series here on One Shot, but I am so impressed with the design of this game. Like Red Carnations on a Black Grave, which inspired this design, this game allows players to insert themselves into history, to learn and experience a difficult period in history by embodying a role. Designer Jennifer Adcock paid special attention to making sure that people who are usually written out of history books aren't cast aside or swallowed up in favor of having an all-white cast. It's an exciting next step in the refreshing trend of historical role-playing approached in a way that undermines a lot of harmful tropes. I hope that appeals to you because the price of coal is up on Kickstarter right now and as of this recording, they have already hit their funding goal. Which means this game is already coming to you if you back and you don't have to worry about getting it. Because in addition to Jennifer Adcock, there is an experienced team behind this game including Camden Wright and Kate Bullock. The folks behind this project are smart, empathetic, and organized. And I think this game is a really valuable learning and teaching tool. And if there was ever a time for people to learn a bunch of lessons about labor rights in the United States, now is a very good one. You'll be able to find the link to support this game in our show notes. So go out, support this game, and of course, support unions. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's get to the show. All right, heroes. Let's meet our party for this week. First up, a voice that should be familiar to you because you are a faithful listener to the One Shot Network and all of its wonderful shows. And that voice is Alex Flanagan. Alex.
2: Hi, everybody. James, thank you so much for having me on One Shot again. I always love to be here. It's such a great time.
1: I was very excited to get you back, especially for this particular concept. It f- it felt so right. I'm truly thrilled.
2: I've literally run my own game on one shot, and this is still the most exciting one shot invitation I've <laughs> gotten. So I'm amped, truly.
1: Alex, do you have any plugs, any places that, that you would like to direct our listeners to where they can find you and, and your lovely works?
2: Yeah, so I'm sure that everybody already knows this because as you mentioned, they are faithful listeners to the One Shot Network. But if this is your first introduction, then I am also the keeper for A Horror Borealis, which is on the One Shot Network, which is a Monster of the Week actual play campaign set in the small town of Revenant, Alaska, where fun and funky things are happening all the time in the year 1996. We are coming back from our sort of show hiatus very, very soon with a new season of adventures. So that'll be very exciting. And to keep an eye out for it. That's at A Horror Borealis on Twitter. You can find me personally at coffee detective coff 33 detective on twitter and uh i'm there way more than i should be so you'll see something <laughs> hey yeah wow
1: aren't we all huh <laughs> yeah listeners I, I really do recommend checking that out and it is the perfect time to catch up to enjoy the new season now alex mm-hmm. we uh, also start this with an icebreaker question and and for you that is what is the most rebellious thing you've ever done at a job
2: so, part of my job, as you um, may have just sort of picked up from context, is podcasting. And, uh, you know, I do a lot of, of freelance work like this. And one time, actually, in fact, today I was on this sound check that we were doing for an episode of One Shot. And then Mel texted me and was like, Oh, I wanted to come say hey, but you guys are recording. And I was like, You should do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not to, like, be a, the bad boy of podcasting at this table <laughs> or anything right now, but I think that was a, Here's <laughs> a the pretty thing. risky move Alex,
1: on my part. Alex is an irrepressible rebel that has no respect <laughs> for authority at all. And I know if they just applied themselves, they could really make something, but but, but they won't. I'm afraid they're going to throw it all away.
2: I'm going to be stuck being the fifth most famous West Virginian in podcasting for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That is definitely a great thing to put on a business card, but I, I, I want to to get to actually introducing a, a new voice to the OneShot Network, someone that that I really hope we, we grow to hear a lot more of, and that is Bees. Bees, welcome to the show.
3: Glad to be here, James. Thank you for having me. <laughs> no.
1: Bees, since this is your first time on the One Shot Network, certainly, where can people find you and do you, what do you do? I
3: do a lot of variety streaming. Like, for the most part, I've just been focusing on horror games on my channel on Twitch, which is big underscore B's, B E A Z. And that's just because people love scaring me and they love clipping it. And I'm like, cool, all right, if this is what you want. I will be scared closer to death every
1: stream, if that's what you want. I mean, I love watching horror game streams because I'm, I'm too scared to play a horror game, but I would like to know what happens in them. So that's pretty much how I consume all that content. That's exactly,
3: that's exactly what I thought. Like I was watching, I remember it started with one of those Telltale games. Mm. I forgot the name of it, but I know Man of Madon is one of the games in that series. And I was watching something. I was like, oh, my God, this is horrifying, but I can't stop watching. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it was exciting. But I just started picking up some of the horror games, and I was like, okay, this isn't too bad. I mean, I got a jump scare here and there, but it's still fun. And then I started introducing ways for my viewers to jump in and scare me even more, and (laughs) it's just gone
1: it's gone to hell from there. Well, this sounds absolutely chaotic, and I, I oh, yeah. feel like I need to check it out. Where it's where will fantastic. people be able to find where you stream and any place where they could pick up videos on demand?
3: For right now, mainly just on Twitch, Big underscore Bees. On, on Mondays and Fridays, I'm on RF Chaos on Twitch. The Monday is the Ty and Bees Power Hour, where we read crazy news articles from around the world and just react to them. And I also answer questions as random characters that come into my mind. Fridays on RF Chaos, we play Sparrows, which were pretty much just space pirates. And I am a crazy old turtle man that makes lots of concoctions and just pretty much screws over the party accidentally every chance I get. It's a blast.
1: That sounds like a delight. Uh, But before we move on, I do want to ask our icebreaker question to you. And that is, what is the most rebellious thing you've ever done at a job?
3: I would have to say that would be when I was working as a cable tech. And, you know, the fun thing about that is you have to go into various people's houses all the time. And they're not always the best of places. So I remember going into somebody's house and, well, I I went there, like, to their house and they were like, oh, we have, none of our TVs are working, blah, blah, blah. So I went and fixed what I thought, you know, what, what I found to be the issue. So then they had a TV in the garage and a bunch of TVs inside the house. So I checked the one in the garage. It was working fine. And I'm like, all right, cool. Now I just need to check inside the house. And she was like, sure, no problem. And she opened the door. And the first thing I noticed is there is no light from the outside. Everything is just blacked out. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Not a problem at all. Ignore that red flag. (laughs) And then I looked down and I saw a literal herd of cats running by. And I was like, huh, that's not good. And I took two steps in and just got smacked in the face with a wall of ammonia. And like my nose, eyes, throat started burning. I went to the first TV, which was like a foot away from where I was, turned it on, saw some kind of picture. and was like, you're doing great. Everything looks good. Have a great day. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> it just left. I didn't verify anything. I was like, no, I didn't run any tests. I was like, I'm done here. I'm leaving. Yeah. And yeah, that was not fun. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It seems like they should prepare you for a situation like that. They don't. I think perhaps we will discover working conditions that might be somehow worse uh, today. Um, (laughs) But let's move on to another familiar voice. And that is Palomi. Palomi, welcome back. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me back. I am really excited. Uh, Palomi, it seems like it should be impossible for people not to know you as they are all (laughs) faithful <laughs> listeners to every show on the one-shot network every every show <laughs> in, in case people somehow got confused or, or misled could you explain to them uh, where they can find uh, all the cool stuff that you do
4: yeah so i am not on twitter as much these days but i am on courier's call we just finished the season two kickstarters so that should be updating pretty soon here So definitely give that a listen if you like giant birds and kids getting into mischief and all kinds of other fun stuff. I mean, that's my biggest plug. I love that show and I'm on it. So Mm
1: -hmm. And, And it's
4: good. And one of the
1: reasons that it's good is because you're on it. (laughs) And if you do happen to be a a Twitter gremlin like myself, you can also enjoy some of the world-building work that Palomi did over on the Warriors Call Twitter feed several months ago. They tweeted about the captains of uh, the Jiltaran Islands, and we got some extremely cool pictures uh, by Jessica Chinsky uh, of these captains, who are all extremely attractive. Yes. It's definitely worth a look. Palomi... Yes. What's the most rebellious thing that you've ever done at a job?
4: So I'm not going to talk about my current job. Nice, nice. <laughs> smart, love it. Because um, uh, I'd like to keep it. No, uh, I haven't done anything bad. Everyone, calm down. <laughs> I'll I'll say one of the most rebellious things I did as a volunteer once was we were we were at a sort of summertime. Uh, Um, event outdoors and I was in charge of cutting watermelons and we had quite a few watermelons to process but I was given two knives and one volunteer and I dismissed the other volunteer wielded both knives and was more efficient on my own (laughs)
2: wow wow (laughs) and that's why they call you two knives That's why they call me two (laughs) knives below me
1: (laughs) beautiful beautiful terrifying electrifying that's great. Uh, now uh, I want to introduce the the, the final voice on, on this show and, and another new voice to the One shot Podcast, and that is Jennifer Adcock. Jennifer, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
1: We are really excited to have you because today we are playing... Oh, I don't want to accidentally forget the name of the game and say the wrong <laughs> name of the game... <laughs> Don't worry. The Price do of Coal. That's one. right. I, I was going to say The Coal War, and I, I was like, that's <laughs> not true, James.
0: <laughs> not <laughs> even. It's funny, because we did change the name of the game halfway
1: through development, and I sometimes still say the old one. <laughs> okay. 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 I'm glad that I'm not alone there, but today we are playing The Price of Coal, which is a game that you designed. Yes. Yes. I've been working on this game for a
0: couple of years. The Price of Coal is a story game about the West Virginia Coal Wars, a too often forgotten tragedy in American history, and a forgotten workers uprising. So this is very exciting. It does
1: seem that when America does bad things, it's just so easy for the historical record to forget it. Mm -hmm. It seems really odd that things work out that way, but we'll interrogate that through the game in a minute. Before we get there, is there a place where listeners who, you know, appreciate this game and, and, and like what what you're doing can find you and, and your work and get ready to support your game?
0: Yes. So this will be on Kickstarter starting August 25th. Before, during, and after that, you can find me on Twitter at GenCatWrites, J-E-N-K-A-T-W-R-I-T-E-S. I'm on Twitter so much that it's in my bio. Sorry, I never shut up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, so follow Jennifer for that good content. We love content. Yes. Jennifer, I, I do want to ask you before I turn the game over to you and, and we start to play, what is the most rebellious thing that you've ever done at a job?
0: So, uh, you know, the uh, the the retail workers' fantasy of getting to tell off a rude customer. Oh, yes. I worked for a department store chain in college, and at one point I had an old woman customer. She was trying... Uh, gosh, I think she was trying to use like coupons and discount things for another chain entirely like it was a store that was not the store she was in mm. and i was like i can't i can't accept these i'm sorry there's just there's nothing i can do she calls the manager this woman she calls me like a stupid good for nothing and i literally i was like all right fuck it i don't need this and i walked out
1: <laughs> yeah yeah you that, don't. Was, that was a good day <laughs> You stupid good for nothing. Except these coupons for another cool. business.
4: Yeah. I'm going to go and
1: not return. Yeah. <laughs> I am out of here. Thank
0: you.
4: This Goodbye says forever.
1: with a purchase of $19 or more, I get two free any topping pizzas.
4: Ma'am, this is a Wendy's.
1: <laughs> Surrender the pizzas oh to me. Oh, good. I hope we had fun getting all those laughs out because now we're about to explore one of the one of the unrecognized deep American tragedies uh, that, that's in our shared cultural history. Jennifer, please take us away to a fantasy land called America.
0: All right. So this game being inspired by me standing on the shoulders of giants, I will start with some read aloud text for us all to bring us in. Race of Coal is a story game about the West Virginia Coal Wars and the year leading up to the Battle of Blair Mountain. Together we will explore the lives of the coal miners and their loved ones as they fight for their rights and for their union. This is a tragic game with no winning. There is no way to avert the final battle in the story we will tell. Our characters can only support and care for each other as best as they can. The events of this game include poverty, illness, and violence. We, the players, will also support and care for each other as we navigate these themes. We will check in with each other, use safety tools, and respect the importance of player comfort and agency over the importance of the game. Place the X card on the table where everyone can reach it. Use the X card to calibrate the tone and content of your game. If anything in the game makes you uncomfortable or crosses a personal boundary, tap the X card or say I'm X carding that. Or since we are playing virtually, Say I'm excurting that, put an X in chat or something similar. That content is removed from the game, no questions asked.
1: I advise folks to verbally say it, not just because uh, chat is easy to miss, because it does not make a sound mm-hmm. in Zoom, but also right. that will show up on the audio and... If it is something that, you know, you feel comfortable, including that, like, hey, I would like to take this out, we can show off the X card working in real time. But also any player is also able to go, hey, I'm X carding that. And also, I would like to not talk about that (laughs) on the audio. And you can say that as well.
0: Fabulous. Thank you. Alright, so we have sorted the event cards of our game by season, creating four piles for fall, winter, spring, and summer. We will play with five cards, five events, for each season. The ordinance card must be included in the summer pile.
1: Hmm. That doesn't sound like a friendly card.
0: Yeah, it's no, it's fine. It's going to be great. I promise.
2: You may be shocked to learn not many of these <laughs> cards are friendly. Oh. Yeah.
0: I have sorted the character cards into minors and their family members. So I will not read that card out loud because I will not trouble you with the steps that I have already completed. We will place the minor characters face up where all players can see them. Each player will select which minor they want to play going around the table until each player has chosen. Then place the family characters face up where all players can see them. Each player will select which family character they want to play going around the table in reverse order. So the player who chose their minor last will choose their family character first. Choose a character from two different players for each of your characters to have a relationship with. Going around the table one character at a time, ask and answer the relationship questions on each character card. Discuss your answers aloud with each other, writing the answers down as you go. An individual player's characters do not need to have a relationship established. Both characters will not appear in the same scene. We do not ask you to play two characters at once, because that would be very silly and confusing. We will begin play by reading the introduction text cards. If anyone would like to be the first player at that point, they may volunteer to do so. The first player will draw the top Fall event card and read it aloud. The active player will frame the scene, providing context for which characters are participating in the scene, where it's taking place, and what's going on during the scene. Use sense descriptions where you can. What sounds and smells are your characters experiencing? What can they see or feel? These can help bring a scene to life and clarify the situation for your characters. The active player may ask for suggestions from other players for framing the scene. Once the scene has been framed, begin a scene of in-character play. A scene is played like a conversation, where players say what their characters do and speak for them. Leave room for everyone to speak, but don't be afraid to describe the detail of small moments and actions. Scenes are generally individual points in time. If you find yourself thinking about moving to another location or advancing ahead in time, consider making that a separate scene instead. Scenes should typically take a few minutes to play. End the scene when the prompt on the card is resolved. After the first scene has been played, continue clockwise with players drawing cards and framing scenes until all the fall cards have been played. Read the fall to winter transition card, then resume play with the winter event cards. Repeat for each season. So I'm going to ask you all to imagine right now that I'm handing you some cards. Give each player two interlude cards for a 4-5 to player game. Interlude cards may be played at any time out of turn order to create a small scene with only two characters. The game and the story end when the ordinance card in the summer pile is drawn and played. After this final scene, everyone may choose to narrate an epilogue or a conclusion for their characters. The narrative ends here, so this will be your final chance to shape a conclusion for your characters. And that's the whole rules of the game! All right. So let's get started with some fun character creation, or character setup, I should say. These are the six coal miner characters that we have for this game. I can go ahead and choose last, because I have played them all before. If anyone feels a an immediate kinship with one of these characters, feel free to go first, and then we can just sort of loop through in zoom order from there.
3: I can go first. I was looking at uh, Lester.
0: All right. These, you want to play Lester?
1: Yes, please. Fabulous.
2: Can I please grab Kit Parsons?
1: Certainly. Kit Parsons really missed their calling as like an ace reporter, I think.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So funny story about the family member characters. Just one second, because there is a reporter. (laughs) Ah, (laughs) So I believe James is next.
1: Yeah. I'm going to go with, john bailey it does look like a hemsworth might be playing john <laughs> not Just based on the character art
0: oh yes these character sketches are phenomenal i love them
2: it's one of those secret hemsworths they don't let out yeah. a lot
0: yeah <laughs> yeah the like fifth or sixth hemsworth i'm not <laughs> actually sure how many of them there's there actually are. 20 <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's, it's part of the United States after the first Thor movie set up a secret Hemsworth reserve uh, in case uh-huh. anything should happen. We can release more Hemsworths. Very wise.
0: I will be
4: going with Andre Pellegrini.
0: Okay. And I think I will take Nathaniel. All right, so then let me go to our family member characters. So I'll pick first and we'll go in that reverse order. I. Um, I think I am going to take Sarah Bailey. Sarah, who is John's wife. Mm -hmm. Also, Polony.
4: I was actually really drawn to Hannah York. Okay. I believe James is next.
1: Viola Pellegrini, for sure. Viola,
4: fabulous.
1: Uh, Alex?
2: All right, so I'm trying to remember one of the minors we didn't pick, right? Which one was that?
0: Uh, We did not pick. I'm oh, sorry, uh... Um, Was it David? Yes, we did not, we did not choose David. We could okay. still have Simon up here. That's totally fine. We could have Simon as a character without having uh, David in the game.
2: That's fine. I think I'll do
3: George.
0: Okay. And these.
3: I, I guess that just leaves me with either Simon or Eliza. Yep. So, I guess let's go Eliza.
0: Cool. These are going to be playing my mom. That's
3: great Uh, i always did you eat today
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right so starting with that same order and let me go back to our coal miners we're gonna do relationships yay everybody loves relationships Mm -hmm. so on your character's card there's two questions so we'll start with uh, Bees and Lester. I want to read off Lester's card and then do some character questions. You can pick any two other characters played by other players to have that type of relationship with.
3: So Lester Baird is a black coal miner, older brother of George Baird. Lester is a jaded miner who has been working in these mountains since he was old enough to hold a pickaxe. He knows what it takes to survive, both deep in the mine and in the company of town. And uh, I read the questions too? Yeah, sure. Okay. The questions are why do you blame them and how do you teach them? So uh, now we need uh, two other characters.
0: Yeah, so you can pick any two of anyone else's characters to sort of have that type of relationship with. uh, Either minors or family members. And I can flip back and forth between these as, as desired.
3: Kit Parsons and Viola.
0: So, which question do you want to answer for which character?
3: And these are from my questions, right?
0: Yeah. So, why do you blame them and how do you teach them?
3: Okay. So, I would say how do you teach them for Kit?
0: Mm-hmm. How does Leslie teach Kit? That's a fun dynamic.
3: Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just thinking because, like, since Kit is also a, a, a coal miner, mm-hmm. I would assume that they kind of were put under me to train them and show them how to... You know sure. the, the the ins and outs, and then why do you blame them for Viola?
1: All right, Viola does like do cleaning for folks in the community, so I could see some sort of connection happening there. But what, why do you blame Viola specifically? Because she she's she is, I believe, a first generation immigrant, so she probably doesn't yeah. speak much English too, which is mm-hmm. I I could see that causing problems.
3: I would have to say probably caused a rift between him and his brother because he was working, because she's, she's, let uh, you look at her card again.
0: Oh yeah, she is um, Andre's daughter.
3: Cleaning and water. okay. He was probably coming home after uh, hit the mines and tried to offer help because she looked like she was struggling with something and he tried to offer some assistance she didn't fully understand him and just kind of you know took it the wrong way Mm -hmm. which then ended up getting the police involved and now his brother assumes you know something something negative about him and he's trying to he's like no i was just trying to offer some help because she looked like she was struggling and so then it caused them to start fighting between one another
0: Oh yeah. Mm. Already breaking my heart in character creation. Brutal. Can I make a
2: quick suggestion about the relationship between Luster and Kit? Sure. So when you were mentioning, like, maybe being my mentor in the mines as Kit, I have this thought where I know that Kit sort of, like, as a teenager, and this is, like, a classically historical coal mine story, so, like, thank you so much for including this narrative <laughs> in the game. I really love it. Where basically, like, I have been living as a man since a teenager to like work in the coal mines and be able to provide for my family. I think that you as my mentor are maybe one of the few people who knows that I'm not biologically like born as a man, that this Mm. is a, a choice that I have made in my life to live in this way. And I just, I want to maybe play a little bit with that relationship, in terms of you being someone who I, I don't know if I chose to give you this information, or if it was just something that you figured out because you were kind of the one showing me the ropes. But I think yeah. for that reason, very early on, I chose kind of not to really learn from anyone else because I was like, the fewer people that can know this, the better.
3: Yeah, I, I'm thinking maybe uh, there was there was some kind of incident, maybe like a, a mini cave-in or something, mm-hmm. and I went to grab you to move you out the way. Uh huh and that's why i'm like whoa wait a minute yeah Hold on. definitely and then love you were that. like oh crap and then we we talked about it and i was just kind of you know lester's like whatever I, I don't really understand it but i'm not gonna you know as long as you're here to do a good job we don't have an issue yeah
0: that feels right to me lester has always struck me as a you know what that's none of my business type of person mm-hmm. <laughs> so all right so that is lester so let's go to andre and palomi yeah Oh, no, actually, I'm sorry. I'm reading off of order on my thing. Uh, I think actually Kit and Alex were next. Okay, sorry. perfect. <laughs> well,
2: let's see here. Catherine Kit Parsons is a white, non-binary coal miner, the older sibling of Hannah York. Kit Parsons has been living as a man since their teenage years in order to support their family with mining. They have developed a valuable reputation for keeping their calm in a crisis. They are loyal, perhaps to a fault. So my two character questions are, why do you love them and how do you surprise them? And let's see, I'm torn between using one of my character questions on my sister, who I do want to have a relationship with versus like trying to spread it out a little bit. I think I want to spread it out a little bit. I think I want to have as many different connections as possible in this complicated web. So I think I'm looking first at why do you love them? And I think that I love John Bailey. I think that to me,
1: Thank you. Yes. he is
2: like, <laughs> I think to me, he's this idealist. He's this stand-up, like protagonist coded guy <laughs> in my real life. And as far as me being like a young vulnerable person trying to shape my concept of what I want my masculinity to look like, I think that I look to John Bailey. I think that he's someone who stands out in a crowd to me as like, this is the kind of person that as an awkward 13 year old person <laughs> trying to like figure out what i'm doing like this is the person that i started building myself after and i think like when i first started working in the mines it was kind of like all these awkward moments of like oh what does john do with his hands when he's on a lunch break like what is john doing with his right. hair how does john wear his hat and i think that it it started out as that but like as i've matured and grown a little bit i, I have. Realize that there's, like, an ideological side to this, too. That the way that he espouses his values and the way that he carries himself, like, those are things that I want for myself. And I don't really know necessarily even, like, what the nature of that attraction or that love is. I just know that I feel very strongly about this individual.
0: I love that.
2: For how do I surprise them? I think that I surprise Andre because he is this person who has this feeling that mine work is beneath him and it's a life that nobody would ever choose for themselves and i am a person who has like actively chosen to pursue this life and i don't even think that he necessarily knows like the reasons why i've done that because there are a few people who do but i am like adamant about my work and invested in my work in a way that it doesn't seem like anybody really should be about it And partially it's because I can't afford to lose it, like my family only has me providing Mm -hmm. for them. But part of it also is that so much of my identity and the identity that I am desperate to keep for myself in this community is based on that work, and I am defined through my relationship to it. And I think that my intensity about that is very surprising to this man who doesn't understand (laughs) why anybody would feel that kind of passion about this kind of work. Like he's an artist, he's someone from a very passionate culture, but doesn't get why somebody would want to do this kind of labor in this way.
1: hey heroes it's james your game master and welcome to the mid-roll heroes we don't have a lot to announce in our mid-roll this week so let's just thank some of our backers on patreon ian clark thank you so much pascal g thank you a gelderman thank you very much july thank you ryan potome thank you ekflum Angawa, thank you so much duncans and dragons thank you roberto Shindy, thank you so much. H. Elizabeth Walker. Thank you very much. Susanna Pefferer. Thank you. Joseph Abramson. Thank you so much. Varinder Singh Binder. Thank you. Mackenzie Bruce. Thank you so much. Alex Skolnick. Thank you. Mara Linden. Thank you so much. Ezra Stevenson. Thank you very much. Amy Rosenbaum. Thank you. Dan Schumann. Thank you so much. And Alex DeVoe. Thank you. Thanks again to everyone who supports us on Patreon. We wouldn't be able to make one shot without you. And also a huge thanks to the one shot heroes who are a little bit more patient this week. Obviously this episode's coming out a day late. Uh, we had some logistical problems on our end, but we also had some baby driven problems on our end. We're, we're just getting a preview of what the one shot network is going to be like with a babied staff. Uh, we <laughs> are going to try and work and get better at this but we really do appreciate everybody's patience. In the meantime, I I think this episode is absolutely worth it.
3: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for
0: Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go
4: to your happy place.
1: Now then, with all of that out of the way, let's get back to the show.
0: All right, all right. Uh, so that brings us to James with John Bailey.
1: Okay, okay. I've been thinking about this. <laughs> So, I've got why do you trust them? I'm I'm going to throw that over to Andre Pellegrini and it is because John Bailey is in love with Andre Pellegrini.
0: Ooh.
1: I'm
4: so excited you've said that, James. Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. <laughs>
1: I like had the thought like John Bailey needs to be in love with someone. He is at odds with his wife. It is so perfect because like reading reading his wife's card, she is like an organizer amongst the spouses and family members. So idealistically, we're aligned. Why are we at odds? Well, it's because John Bailey is a gay man who is married because that's what you had to do. Because that's what you had. That's to what, do. what you had to do. Yeah, and uh, Andre Andre being this artist who who talks about like how how this way of living is, is not worthwhile i think john is an idealist who i i think believes that the way that coal mining works right now is obviously not worthwhile because pe- people are treated well but in, in in the way the world should be a man should be able to mine a little bit of coal and then go out and do a bit of sculpting because that's what a complete life is so he definitely preaches to Andre there. And I, I think definitely, how do you persuade them? It's got to go to Lester Baird. I think Lester is the person that John sees kind of as a, a linchpin. And like, if we're going to get organized, if we're going to change the way things work, that has to start with someone who has experience, who, who like clearly is respected by... The other miners in the community, like Lester, thinking that it is worthwhile to to take the risk and actually, you know, push for organization.
3: So since like Lester's been there forever, he's mm-hmm. just kind of the, the the unofficial leader of the uh, or, or like head of the miners.
1: Right. If 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 I if I stand up and go, look, we can we can unite. We can work together. From each according to ability to each according to his need, if Lester goes, Ugh, then everything is sunk. But if Lester goes, This kid has something that that we should listen to, then the older miners and the younger miners like have the ability to come together. So I think John Bailey is almost an annoying like puppy to to Lester (laughs) like after after work at the bars whatever you know John is like preaching at Lester about the way things ought to be and how we could change them together you know in moments that he is not stealing privately with Andre he is working hard on like if I can just get Lester to agree then everything can be different very nice I
3: like it
0: and that actually segues very well over to andre and poloni
4: yeah so andre pellegrini is an italian immigrant coal miner father of viola pellegrini andre is an italian sculptor who came to america seeking new opportunities but found none were available to him debt and anti-immigrant sentiment trapped him in mine work which he feels is beneath him and his daughter so my questions are why do you reject them and how do you manipulate them? And I have a fantastic answer to the second one.
0: <laughs> we can start with the second one if you want.
4: Yeah, so I I think it's John Bailey that I'm manipulating and I don't yes. think it's a knowing type of manipulation. I have a lot of stories from Italy and my childhood and how I grew up and I love nothing more than sharing those stories with anyone who will listen and John is more than willing to listen. So I feel like I'm filling his head with these almost idealistic. I mean, he's a very idealistic guy. So kind of just filling his head more with this, these ideals that are dubiously attainable uh, at the current moment. <laughs> um, and I think to that end, too, why do you reject them? I think. This applies to Lester Baird. He seems kind of like a, a pillar of the community. His jadedness and his kind of just dogged desire to survive frustrates me because I I know that life can be more than that. And it almost feels like I think whenever stuff goes down, I, I find his approach frustrating and and not aggressive enough almost.
0: Ooh, nice.
4: So I'm in love with the triangle that we've created. Yes, this is <laughs> I am good. like
0: fascinated. I'm
4: I'm ready to hurt some feelings. Like I was gonna say there's oh, some like
0: yes. There's
4: a
2: I don't know. I don't wanna like talk about it before it happens but there are like <laughs> moments that i'm already visualizing in my mind oh yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, like Beautiful. deep profound personal tragedy that i'm really oh, upset yeah.
1: about like
3: the, the more you guys are, are explaining things especially in regards to, to to having ties with lester it's fleshing out lester for a hundred percent i'm like okay so these are this this is gonna happen this conversation yes, okay. yeah <laughs>
0: So Nathaniel, uh, Nathaniel Friedman is a black coal miner, the son of Eliza Friedman. Nathaniel is a hard worker known as a good man in the mine. He prides himself on knowing when to keep his head down and when to stand up for his fellow workers. He leans heavily on his faith in the hard times. So for my character questions I have, why do you praise them and how do you watch them? And I was kind of thinking that I think Nathaniel really admires Kit. I think there's a real similarity between us two as being like, we both have that reputation, right? The, the reputation to uphold as being the good man in the mines, which is maybe the highest praise you can give someone in that type of setting.
2: Kit is desperate for someone to call them a good man anywhere, so this is very <laughs>
0: that nice. That too! Um, so, so Nathaniel is is like, if anyone tries to be like, Kit didn't do this or something, whatever, Nathaniel's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Actually.
2: Thank you so much.
0: <laughs> and then how do you watch them? I think Nathaniel is maybe a little bit distrusting of George. George being the, the deputy sheriff. I don't know that George has necessarily even ever given Nathaniel a reason to distrust him. I just think that Nathaniel understands maybe the contradictions of the position George is in and is aware that his safety is not necessarily always going to be George's priority. So he, he watches him and is very aware of what's happening. So that is all of our minor characters, now we're also going to snake back in the other direction with our family members, so I'll start with Sarah Bailey. Sarah Bailey is a young white woman married to John Bailey. Sarah is coming into her own as a leader among the minor spouses. She feels powerless to protect her husband, but is only starting to recognize the sway she has in this community. She dreams of a better life here, not in some distant city. So her questions are, why do you tolerate them and how do you restrain them? And I have so many questions myself about why Sarah tolerates Andre, mm. <laughs> given our little triangle. Damn, yeah. <laughs> I think it is because, like, even if she recognizes that her her marriage with John is not necessarily a love marriage, it is something that we did out of a sense of necessity.
2: Does she recognize
0: that? Yeah, I'm really actually curious. That, that is a I good also question. am not sure. Okay. But I, I think she does recognize that John is happier when Andre's around. Mm. And she does value that. Even if, you know, I don't know yet. Perhaps we'll play to find out what Sarah's awareness is. She does, at the very least, acknowledge and value John's happiness.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it does. It does seem like again we're idealistically aligned. So yeah, absolutely. It would make sense for like the. It's not like I resent being married to you. It's just I'm physically not attracted to you, uh, but I love (laughs) talking to you. uh, So yeah.
0: And then how do you restrain them? I actually think we could have a really interesting dynamic with Sarah and Hannah, because Hannah is all about wanting to get out of here, whereas Sarah is all about improving things here where we are, and not just giving up and fleeing to somewhere better. So I kind of think that maybe when Hannah gets a bit too we should just give up. We need to get out of here. This is not working. This we, no one should stay here. I think maybe Sarah is able to talk Hannah back down from that and get her to see the value in trying to improve our situation here and now. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. And speaking of, that actually does segue over to Hannah for Coloni. <laughs> we keep doing that. So
4: Perfect. So I'm I'm actually gonna read Hannah's card out loud. <laughs> Hannah York is a white midwife, younger sister of Kit Parsons. Hannah is a midwife who has helped bring many babies into the town only to see them wasted in the mines. She wants to protect them as best she can, but in truth, she also wants to flee this horrible place. And her questions are why do you envy them and how do you control them? I feel like the envy aspect kind of applies to the Baileys in general, Mm -hmm. Sarah and John, because they are able to kind of view this place as something worth fighting for, something worth liberating in some capacity. And even though, you know, Sarah especially is able to kind of talk Hannah back from that ledge, Hannah cannot see this place that way. She has very hard time kind of visualizing what could be. And I think a lot of those feelings of like fear and needing to bolt. They're just things that she needs that she's dealing with on a regular basis. How do you control them? So I wanna I want this one to kind of be spread around too, because like sure. I'm trying to think about what this means. And I feel like, Alex, if you're okay with this, yeah, I want this to apply to Kit from that sort of midwifery perspective as far mm-hmm. as like kit is not biologically male. Mm-hmm. There are special health things that need to kind of be taken care of in that situation. And I think Kit's sister is sort of the person who helps her with that. But then also coming from a place of concern, it's like, you have to be careful. You can't do certain things. It's it's that voice in Kit's life that's like, don't, can't, if you're cool with yeah. that.
2: No, totally. I think that's great. And I also would love to pitch something else to you. And if you're not comfortable with this, like, I completely understand. I don't want to put you in a position where you are, like, having to act out something that you disagree with. Sure. But I think in a non-malicious way, like, yours is a life and a career that celebrates, like, the beauty and life-givingness of femininity in a yeah. community that is racked by, like, honestly, the inherent violence of masculinity. And, like, your life and your community have been shattered by these ideals of, like, what masculine strength is and what it looks like and i think it stresses you out to see me rejecting what you would see as like a way that i could be doing a lot more good but at the same time like our family needs this
4: yeah yeah i i do kind of like that characterization that a lot of who hannah is as a person is kind of hidden behind these various sources of fear or not fear like it's not misunderstanding so much but like just not getting why kit wouldn't want to do things the traditional way right just to stay under the radar (laughs) and not put
1: put themselves at more risk
0: cool i love it that will bring us to james and viola
1: all right i've been thinking about this Uh, i'll read the card first of course Mm -hmm. Uh, viola is still learning the ropes of life in america and she doesn't want to make trouble She takes on jobs during the day, cleaning and washing for wealthier women in the community. She fears for her father's health almost as much as she fears this strange new country. I think when we say wealthier women in the community, it is not hard. You know, being an immigrant in the United States, especially an Italian immigrant at this time, it may surprise some listeners to learn that uh, the Italian community was not well liked for a very long time in our history Mm -hmm. in the United States. So anybody who was established even remotely would probably be wealthier. And because we had this dust up with with the Bairds earlier, I I want the why do you lie to them to be because... I literally don't understand them. There was a moment where things got very heated and police got involved. Viola, having very little English, just tried to agree to whatever people were saying to her to get the situation to stop. And that escalated it further. So anytime anyone said anything, she just went, yes. And she doesn't understand why people got angry, and she doesn't understand why people are still angry. She just wanted to go home.
0: Oh, poor thing.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: Like, okay, so so it's just something like she was struggling and and Lester came up, offered some assistance, kind of spooked her a bit, and she jumped back and was like, No, no, no. Somebody saw her doing the no no no. And it was like, oh, what's going on? She's being accosted. She thought she was in trouble.
1: Like she literally, like he came over to help. She thought she was doing something wrong and she tried to Uh apologize. And some goddamn neighbor saw that and (laughs) called the police. Yep. So yeah, this is a situation is where wonderful. literally no one is at fault, and like, also, yeah. I this is definitely a community where the police would not look favorably on the Italian immigrant either in this situation. Yeah, so no, it can there only make it no worse. There is no winners in this situation. There nope. is
2: no winning, and you know, I think from Georgia's standpoint, it's like this is the nightmare scenario of yeah. like two people in the community who are probably the most vulnerable. And there's nobody I can side with that will make this go away. Like, mm-hmm. there, there's nothing that can happen here that will make this you're go away. You're
3: sitting there and you're like, crap, okay, I have her on this side, but I have my brother too, Yeah. but I can't play favorites. And Lester's like, what the hell? You yeah. know me. You know I... This is this is beyond my character. Why is this even a thing? Right. And, what the hell is going and on And
2: knowing here? that, like, that's... Wanting to believe that I know Lester well enough to know that that's not anything that he would ever do, but at the same time, like being almost angry because, like, dude, it, like, how could you not know better? Like, <laughs>
1: and I, all I, the asked, scenarios I asked you'll find this woman a direct in. question and she said yes. Why is yeah. she lying? Yep. Right.
4: Can I add an extra layer to this whole thing? <laughs> Please. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. I
1: don't
4: think she's told Andre anything. Like, oh like my God. I feel like he'd be able yeah. to help clarify and I mm-hmm. don't want him to. <laughs> yeah,
1: I like that a lot. Yeah, because nice. again, she doesn't want to make trouble. So yeah. she literally, <laughs> yeah. went. she went home, she was rattled and she tried to pretend like she wasn't rattled. Yeah. A layer that I want to throw on, it, it's not related to the questions at all. Uh, I, I, I think Viola's mother probably died in transit. Like mm. that, that's mm. kind of the sense that I'm getting. Sure.
4: That tracks for me too. Yeah.
1: But the other question is how do you indulge them? Um, and I think this one goes out to Sarah Bailey. I kind of think Sarah is probably one of the only people who talks to Viola. Viola tries to understand Sarah, but, but can't really, but like Sarah treats Viola like a, a woman, like a person. Yeah. And you know, the, if Sarah asks Viola to do something, like she she will do it because she's really missing that kind of human contact, and sure. also that a a, a a older feminine figure in in her life she just doesn't have access yeah, to right now. Absolutely,
0: and especially this 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 does raise a question for me: of Do Sarah and John have children?
1: That is a really good question, and I because
0: I'm I'm kind of envisioning that they don't, and can Sarah see it Yes. Uh,
2: I think there have been one or more miscarriages. Oh,
0: entirely possible, yeah. Which is, oh, no. I, and
2: again, I'm sorry, but historically, like this is the thing yeah. that shows up again and again in stories like this. And I Completely. think it's an interesting narrative, especially for these two, because there's all this complicated stuff and I don't want to foist it on anybody. I want you to like just no, take I this as that's... you will and, and throw it away <laughs> if you don't like it. But for both of them, it's almost, and I, I don't want to use this word carelessly, it's almost a relief to not have children because... One, it frees them both up to do the kind of work they want to do. Mm-hmm. But then you have like Sarah, who's more interested in being an organizer than a mother. and you have John, who's not even interested in the marriage. And mm-hmm. so you've got Sarah grappling with this like this inherent sort of feeling of failure, of femininity that comes with having had one or multiple miscarriages. yeah, absolutely. but also this kind of like bitter inward relief of like, this is one thing I don't have to deal with because I have important work to do. And then both of them also not being able to help, but feel like this has been part of what's at the core of their marriage falling apart.
1: Well, and honestly, John, I I think, is pretty vested in it working because that means they won't have to keep trying. Yeah. Which is not (laughs) his favorite thing in the world.
0: Sure.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I, I I think there's a lot of complexity swirling yeah. around that. But like to, to tie out Veil was peace in this. The how do you indulge them is important. Mm-hmm. I, I think it is showing up to whatever like organizing meetings uh, or, or whatnot. You know, just just being there to be generally supportive because. She's looking for any kind of connection that, that people can throw out. Ooh. And if Sarah is like happy to like be in a surrogate mother role while also being like, this is great. I've got uh, uh, an enthusiastic person who understands like <laughs> why this organizing is important. And Viola's like, sure.
4: I'm here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm here.
1: Yes.
4: I showed up. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I can definitely see those relationships unfolding too with the Pellegrini's just... Going over to the Bailey's from time to time, like on a on a yeah. pretty regular oh, schedule. Oh yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: of
4: course.
2: Y'all, I am stressed and we've not told a single <laughs> bit of story
0: yet. Do we even need to role play at this point? Or is we've already got our story.
2: Here are <laughs> our sad people. Just <laughs> Take them and do whatever you want. And
1: here's the ordinance (laughs) card. We (laughs) did it. (laughs)
0: All right. So that will bring us to George with Alex.
2: Yeah. Hi. So George Baird is a black deputy sheriff, the younger brother of Lester Baird. George's first duty is to the law and everything else comes second. He has to keep the peace. He has to keep the townsfolk alive. Sometimes he cannot do both. So my first character question, and it's one that I immediately know, which is, why do you amuse them? And the answer is that I amuse Eliza enormously, and I don't think it's in a good way. (laughs) I think that Eliza... I think that, honestly, I think my entire, like, my whole concept of my life and my role in it is a joke to Eliza. Eliza has seen... Bees is like, nodding furiously. Yeah, like, this is a woman who cannot fathom why I would be a cop in the first place, Mm -hmm. and who beyond that does not understand why I would like to play act at seeming like this is going to be anything that's going to afford me some role in justice in life. Like, Mm -hmm. as if I can do anything in that uniform that's going to make a meaningful impact as if I'm going to be allowed to do anything that's going to make a meaningful impact in the lives of the people who should matter more to me in my community. And I think that she thinks that's funny. I think that Eliza knows damn well that when all the chips are down and when every card falls, she's still gonna be sitting in her rocking chair knowing exactly what she knew before all of this started and I'm going to be looking a damn fool.
3: She told him so many times, but no, I mean, he, he he needs to learn. He's gonna have to learn one way or another. And then when everything happens, he's gonna come on back and she's gonna be like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, what happened? Oh, the thing I told you was gonna happen this whole time has happened. Oh, isn't that funny?
2: Yeah, exactly. And she's probably right, but there's there's not a thing I can do about that. I have mm-hmm. uh, I've put myself in the position that I'm in and I feel honor bound to do the best I can with it. And I don't think that I'm ignorant of that fact. I think that there are days when I wake up and I know that everything I'm doing is a cruel joke and I'm not sure if I'm the punchline or the person telling it, but it's not a great way to live. (laughs) (laughs) My next question is how do you honor them? And I already feel like I, I have a pretty solid understanding of what my relationship with Lester is so I'd like to sort of make things even messier if I possibly can in a different yes.
3: way Please.
2: and I think maybe if everybody's cool with this and again I don't want to like invent relationships that are uncomfy to the point of not being interesting for us to play with but I think that possibly the person I am trying to honor is Sarah Bailey and I think it's maybe Ooh. because there's no other way for me to have a close relationship with her I think that this is a woman who I see leading the community and I think I admire her deeply. I think I am attracted to her and I think that I know that is not anything I can ever get even remotely close to in any way. And the best that I can do is I can try to do good work in my job and keep my community safe and upstanding so that she can do the transformative work that she needs to do. And I think that there are days when I believe more in the work she's doing than the work that I'm doing. But when I am trying to think of, like, someone who has upstanding ideals and who is willing to fight for them, even when the work is hard, that's who I'm thinking of. And I think that's part of why I'm, like, so angry about this situation with Lester and Viola even more, because I'm like all you had to do was like, not go near that lady. Like all you had to do, I do it every day, dude. Like, what are you doing? Um, And
3: Oh, oh, this is gonna get so good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that's my answer (laughs) there. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love it. I'm so stressed, you guys. very good. (laughs) Mm.
3: Mm. And last, but absolutely not least is Eliza with bees. First off, before I get started, I wanna make sure everyone has uh, enough water And maybe some bread, because it's going to get real spicy. (laughs) (laughs) So, Eliza is tied to Andre and Sarah. Uh, Eliza Friedman is a black woman, the mother of Nathaniel Friedman. Eliza Friedman was born enslaved and emancipated as a young child. In her long life, she has seen worse things than Pinkerton's and coal operators come through these hills. She intends to outlast them all. So, two questions. Why do you avoid them, and how do you keep them safe? Now, first one, why do you avoid them? She avoids Andre Pellegrini to no extent. (laughs) He is this smooth-talking accented white man that came out of nowhere. She's calling him. Yeah. Sniping the boy. He's he's got all this flair and all this swag and she sees right through it. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. She's like, boy, you won't do nothing but play with mud all day. I don't want to. So (laughs) she doesn't give him the time of day.
4: That's really important to me. (laughs) (laughs) There needs to be one person in this community that's just like,
3: mm <laughs> uh, Oh yeah. Eliza just sitting back on a rocking chair like hmm <laughs> And uh the second question, why do you keep them safe? Well, uh Sarah Bailey, because in everything, which which I want to touch on the uh the miscarriages for a moment. <laughs> the whole time that that all this has happened with the these miscarriages, I feel that has also Fed into why she feels powerless to protect her husband. You know, mm-hmm. it just feeds into that. And so, out of everyone, you know, she, you know, you have an issue. You come to Eliza. She'll talk to you. Yeah. She'll tell you. You know, she'll, she's the one that you come to advice for. If you follow it, that's on you. <laughs> and so she's spoken to Eliza plenty of times about this, and Eliza is just kind of, you know knowing how difficult it can be and seeing how it's it's affected other women in her long life yeah she understands how much of a a a a, a not just physical but emotional toll it can take on a woman yeah absolutely so she's just you know that 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 motherly instinct kicks in and she's just like baby I got you come here I'll talk to you I'll take care of you <laughs> I think God so, Sarah needs someone yeah. to talk to <laughs> yeah. and she sees you know Eliza being as wise as she is she sees the, the potential in Sarah she sees how she can be a, a, a strong force in the community and she wants to make sure that it's for the right thing
0: absolutely I love it alright so that's our character relationships everybody
1: this episode of One Shot features music from the following artists The Wanderer by Third Age Years Gone By and Finally Home by Brentwood Wildlands by Sounds Like Sander Brothers by Heartland Knights Vineyards of Venice by Cody Martin Maybe in the Next Life by Ian Koloski Swamp Jam by Dreamland and Troublesome Teddy by Brandon Adams This episode of One Shot was edited and sound designed by Tracy Barnett You can find more of their work online, anywhere at The Other Tracy Well, Heroes, that's it for OneShot this week, but don't worry. We'll be back next week with more The Price of Coal. In the meantime, be sure to check out one of the other amazing gaming shows here on the OneShot Network. Like Skyjack's Courier's Call, an all-ages-friendly actual play podcast set in the world of Sphere. Skyjack's Courier's Call follows three teens as they set out as new apprentices aboard an airship with the Swiftwell Courier Service, bringing mail and adventure across the world. Featuring Drew Merzieski, Palomi Pertap, Aaron kitano Saez, and Ali Grauer, and using the Cortex Prime system, this show is perfect for anyone just getting started listening to actual plays, and veterans of the tabletop genre alike. Join clever but anxious Kieran, bold, fast-talking C.C., and the loyal and strong June aboard the Red Audrin ship as they sort and deliver mail, encounter powerful magic, and learn the proper skills of an Araner along the way. Right wrongs, do mercies, and take flight. As always, we end one shot with a call to action. Heroes, I'd like to urge you to go out and call your representatives. Calling a representative is a great way to directly advocate for an issue. It's a way that many elected officials keep a temperature of what their constituents are looking for, and because not many people do it, an individual caller can make a huge difference. When I call my representatives, I use a site called fivecalls.org. That's the number 5 calls.org. There you can find a list of issue summaries from around the country, along with contact information for your reps and scripts to read while you're on the phone to help you get your message across. Calling is quick and it can make a vital difference.